This podcast is brought to you by the Phytogenic Chef. Get started with your plant-based meal plan today at thephytogenicchef.com. Take 15% off with discount code PLP15 at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Peace Love Plants podcast. I'm your host, Marco Knox. America's healthy heart doc, Joel Kahn, MD, is back on the show and he's bringing new science regarding heart health to the conversation. Dr. Kahn was the very first and second guest on this podcast, and for good reason. Not only is he an expert on heart health, he is in the trenches spreading the powerful message of preventing and reversing disease with plant-based nutrition. This week, we dive into lipoprotein little a and what you should know about it. We also discuss CT scans and why they are crucial to your heart health. We even discuss doctor-approved plant-based recipes and wine. I hope you enjoyed this talk with Dr. Khan titled Lipoprotein Little A, The Heart's Quiet Killer. Dr. Joel Khan, coming to us from Detroit, Michigan. Welcome back to the Peace Love Plants podcast, my friend. How are you doing? Doing good. We still call it the Motor City, but it's a pretty quiet motor right now because of this pandemic. But We are an optimistic and overcoming city and society, so we'll roar back better than ever with more community spirit than ever. But it's rough around here right now. I know. I'm looking at the numbers in Michigan and Wayne and Macomb and Oakland County specifically have been hit pretty hard. Yeah, I think we had a lot of auto industry visitors in December, January, February before we really realized what was going on. And good people that they are, I think they brought us a gift with a little more density than some other cities got. No doubt. I really appreciate you joining today, especially during this precarious time. The last time you were on the show, we talked about your background. We talked about your why. So I'm guessing your mission and your why has not changed since the last time we spoke in November, huh? Correct. You know, it's obviously the time to talk about immune system, corona, shelter in place, and all the terms. The reality is heart disease isn't going away. We've seen some very strange numbers about dramatic drop in hospital admissions for stroke and heart attack and the fear that people are just staying home so long that some of them are actually dying before getting medical care, which all of us are screaming, don't do that, don't do that. If you're having an elephant sitting on your chest, Maalox isn't the answer. It's still 911. So I'm still very focused on heart disease. I have the same why. The only thing I've added is probably since I've had a little lockdown, I've added growing sprouts at home. I saw that. I used to grow microgreens in like small dirt trays indoor, and it was fine, but the dirt just wasn't a winner. And learned very recently about sprouting in mason jars. I don't know where I was all those years walking by them in the natural health store. And it's awesome. I mean, I get piles of fresh sprouts on almost every meal. I actually put them on my breakfast too. And that's the only new why I have is to spread the love of the simplicity and, you know, the awesome nutritional bonus of having a food that's alive as you eat it with live enzymes and live nutrients and live cells. And I'll just give a shout out and maybe I'll make an introduction for you. There's a wonderful guy in California named Doug Evans with a new book called The Sprout Book. And okay. he's long been in the plant-based, organic, juicing, entrepreneurial world. And this is just a passion play for him to teach the world about sprouts. So uh, I am grateful to him. And I know you'd enjoy his absolutely high energy passion for up in the nutrition of all of us. So I'm thankful to him. I'm thankful for you for all the good work you do. Thank you, Dr. Khan. That means a lot coming from you. I tell you what, and I'm glad to hear about the sprouts. I've got some wheat sprouts growing in my kitchen right now as we speak in a mason jar. Great. Yeah. You know, the wheat sprouts have a little sweet tang to them versus the radish. It's got a little bite. 
I am so green at this sprout world that, you know, I've done mung bean sprouts and I got broccoli sprouts in a jar right now, buying organic seeds and keeping it as quality as I can. But I'll move on to wheat. I know you can pretty much sprout any seed, so we'll get there. Beautiful. I love it. So another topic we touched on the last time you were here, at the time, it was an upcoming book. You teased us a little bit. And since then, that book is out. And it surrounds a topic that, at least from the patient side, we don't know a lot about. So it's great work that you're bringing to people. And you've opened a lot of eyes, myself included. And that topic is lipoprotein A. Since you've talked about this last with me, and I believe the book came out what? Earlier this year? Maybe five weeks ago, six weeks ago, most. Yeah. And it's absolutely blowing out on Amazon. I picked up my copy and I love it. I love it specifically because it's twofold. It's got all the information from you about lipoprotein, which we're going to dive into. And then it's got some amazing recipes, which I'd like to touch on as well. But before we do that, let's set the stage here a little bit. By now, most people know about the story of Bob Harper. For those that don't know, he's a fitness trainer from the show Biggest Loser. And for those that really don't know, could you kind of explain his story and how someone that could be so incredibly fit could experience something so incredibly frightening? Right. Bob Harper with Jillian Michaels. Yeah. I'm not sure. More than a decade on one of the hottest shows. I do know the executive director, J.D. Roth. I mean, they're very authentic people. Maybe it doesn't seem that's possible in Hollywood, but they really were very authentic people. Obviously, long-term results of any weight challenge are not always sustained, and they've taken a little heat from that. But here's Bob Harper after the show, and there's pictures looking ripped, because he is. He was 51 years old, and I mean, that's his thing, his fitness. But he was running a treadmill on a public gym in New York City in February 2017. And he collapsed. He went down, not from falling. He went down from a cardiac arrest, meaning his heart had stopped. It was in something called fibrillation. And five to 10 minutes later, you're dead or you have a great risk of permanent brain damage. But good fortune out of an awful day was next to him was a physician on a treadmill. And in front of him was a defibrillator like a lot of gyms have on the wall and should have on the wall. We can't all have one at home, but public gyms should. And within, you know, a few seconds, he was being shocked back to a rhythm that averted his death. Emergency 911 to the hospital. It's a heart attack that precipitates us. So he went and all the details haven't been made public, but he went for an emergency heart catheterization, a procedure I do. Emergency stent unblock, suddenly blocked artery, get the blood flow back. Spent a couple of days on a ventilator. We've all been hearing a lot about ventilators but did ultimately go home and has made a spectacular recovery and posts fashion pictures and food pictures and actually has come out with a book since then about praising complex carbohydrate food because he's always been strong in the plant world. And some would say he deviated a little based on some of his social media posts prior to the heart attack. I don't like to criticize people. It's a challenging world and there's so many voices in the nutrition world, but he's back fully as a plant-based advocate. But the question comes up that you said, we haven't learned that he was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. And he certainly didn't have the body of a undiagnosed diabetic. But about two months later on Dr. Oz's show, he announced to the world, you know, I have learned that I have a genetic disorder. I had it since the day I was born, but nobody tested for it. And I have a very high blood level of something called lipoprotein little a, which most of your audience is. In fact, if we had an audience of a thousand medical doctors and healthcare professionals, the majority would say, what's lipoprotein little a? 
but it is actually as exciting a topic as growing wheat sprouts in your glass jar. I mean, it's actually an exciting and important topic. So let's go educate some people. Let's do it. So yeah, it's fascinating that a guy could be so fit and then just out of nowhere have that happen. So let's start with the lipoprotein A. What exactly is it? Number one, it's just awkward to pronounce. It's called lipoprotein little a, which also could be said lipoprotein lowercase a, because before it was discovered, a cholesterol particle that actually has a capital A was already in the scientific literature. So we have to compete with apoprotein capital A, and now we've got apoprotein little a, which is part of this big molecule called lipoprotein little a. We need a new name. Other people call it appropriately LP little a. And the last name for it, anytime you got three names, you know, we still got a lot to learn. It is often called the sticky cholesterol. So for the rest of the show, I'll either call this LP little a or sticky cholesterol. The book is called lipoprotein little a, although you don't write the word little, it's just lowercase. Bottom line is here, I'll set the stage and I'll tell you about the particle. Let's do it. There's a very important term in cardiology called residual risk, that if we identify somebody has some form of atherosclerosis, they could have already had a stroke, a heart attack, a bypass, a stent. They could have gone for an ultrasound of their neck at a church event or a public event. They could have had a CT scan of their arteries or what's called a catheterization. They've got aging of their arteries, which This is really important for your followers. There's a fascinating article out of Madrid today that from age 40 to age 45, there's this unexpected acceleration of clogging your arteries that's found amongst the healthy public in Madrid, Spain, but we can pretty much assume it happens in the United States. There's a lot of silent atherosclerosis. Residual risk means let's throw everything we do in traditional cardiology. Maybe we need to add a baby aspirin. Maybe we talk a little bit about the American Heart Association diet. Maybe we recommend fitness. Maybe we start a statin like Lipitor if needed. Maybe we replace a low vitamin D if needed, whatever we throw at them. You've probably reduced the risk in that person of going on to having a stroke, a heart attack, a hospital admission by about 50%. And that's a big number. If we could cut 50% of Bob Harper events down, we did a lot of people a favor. But what about the rest? How come Lipitor doesn't drop at 99%? That's called residual risk. And it's in our literature. It's very important. It's the excitement that we're going to do better as time goes by. Now, of course, if we would apply more liberally, fully whole food, plant-based, brightly colored rainbow diets, let's not argue about avocados, nuts, and olives. I don't really care if you eat them or not for the average public. It's a distraction. It's not the main message. Eat plants, eat whole plants. I mean, how much better we could do than 50%, that's a projection. We don't know that for sure because plant-based diets are still 1% or 2% or 3% of the population. We've got to speak to the other 97%. But research shows when you look at why is there still that chunk of 50%, lipoprotein little a is the biggest part of the chunk. People like Bob Harper that might have, and just we can stop using him as an example, as this cholesterol molecule is inherited by 25 to 30% of people from their parents. So there's a lot of Bob Harpers right now listening that don't know it. But the biggest chunk of that risk of stroke and heart attack, God, I'm eating great and God, I'm fit and I'm sleeping good and I, you know, I don't smoke and my weight is good. There's still a risk. It's much lower than if you ignore all those incredibly important principles. So lipoprotein little a, and let me just say this, we will learn of other lipoprotein little a's. There are other molecules in the blood that we don't even know yet or have just recently been discovered. 
10 years ago, there's one called TMAO. Bring me back in three, four months. We'll talk about that when there's lots of data. But lipoprotein little a was discovered by a scientist in 1963 as a new cholesterol particle. Interestingly, there's only about four species on the planet that have a body that can make lipoprotein little a. Humans, unfortunately, maybe fortunately, are one of those four. There's some really other strange animals that can make it, but dogs and cats and squirrels and elephants and lions don't make lipoprotein little a. It is a big, ugly molecule. We call it a triple threat. And really quickly, it has LDL cholesterol, just like your doctor tells you maybe. Hey, your LDL cholesterol came back 140. We need to work on diet and bring it down a little bit. But that's not all it has. It has a little bridge and then it has a funny little piece. That funny little piece is called apoprotein little a. There we go. And when you put it all together, we call it lipoprotein little a. And it circulates in the blood in about 30% of people. Some people, it's undetectable. It can go from undetectable to 1,000 times higher in other people. It's a huge range. It depends on genetic inheritance predominantly. But from the time you're born, if you're one of the 30% of people, it slowly rises to about age one. And the rest of your life, unless it's detected and treated, you have a nasty beast in your bloodstream. And that nasty beast might let you live to 100, 105. It's a risk. It's not a death sentence. But that nasty beast may clog your arteries to your brain, your heart, your sexual organs, your legs. And interestingly, it can attack and damage a heart valve. So it's estimated, just to put it in perspective, that one out of every 14 open heart bypass surgeries isn't predominantly due to smoking cholesterol diabetes. It's due to lipoprotein little a. That's tens of thousands of people in the United States that don't know why they're clogged up and going for bypass. And about one out of every seven replacement of, it's called the aortic valve, big surgery, is due to this cholesterol molecule attacking and damaging a heart valve. And then there's lots of other people that are just walking around with an elevated level. So the awareness of this is just starting. Like you might say, how come I never heard of it? I've been to my doctor. I've had a physical. I've had a wellness physical. Maybe you're even a heart patient listening and you've been through one of these procedures. It's not yet part of our training on every patient once in their life, measure this simple lab test. It's available everywhere for under $50 as a lab test at Quest, at LabCorp. You can send your own blood away and get your lipoprotein little a level. But the tide is turning and you get credit, Marco, because you're kind of teaching an audience two, three, four years before they're going to hear about this all the time, unless they caught the New York Times article about Bob Harper, Men's Health article about Bob Harper. And I talk about it all the time. So it's out there. Now, just the last part of this little kind of introduction and framing it. Last year, there is a group called the European Society of Cardiology, very prominent, intelligent, academic group of thousands of people. And they announced for the first time, we are now prepared to say everybody should have a lipoprotein A level checked in their blood once, maybe as young in life as possible, because we'll talk about if there's any treatment. But if you were simply told at age 20 or 30 or 40, hey, you know, you happen to have inherited a predisposition to the number one killer of men and women and erectile dysfunction and valve problems. Let's make sure we've got your blood sugar, your blood pressure, your blood cholesterol, your fitness, your diet, your sleep, your stress. Let's manage what we can manage. Don't freak out about it, perhaps, but pay more attention than the average person pays to early heart care because we have strong data 
when you adopt a heart-healthy lifestyle at 20, it's dramatically more important and effective than starting a healthy lifestyle at 65. That's always a good time to start it, but get your you know habits in young in life. And if you have lipoprotein A, you've done yourself a tremendous benefit to lower the risk. Last little bit, anybody listening that does have a family history, you know, dad had a stent at 48, mom had carotid surgery at 57, grandma dropped dad at 60, brother had open heart surgery. There's a lot of families like that. Lipoprotein A is often the untested answer. Everybody could smoke in the family. Everybody could eat a bucket of fried chicken in the family. But there are some families, it's totally a puzzle. And again, number one untested feature in this risk is lipoprotein little a. So that's, you know, a very comprehensive and good bite to remember. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you for that. And, you know, as you were sitting there talking, as you know, I grew up in Michigan and my father had open heart surgery back in the 80s at William Beaumont, I believe. Aha, my hospital. Yeah. And he had a pretty major surgery split his leg all the way down, cracked his chest open, obviously, and moved some things around. And I suspect that his heart disease was brought on by his poor habits, including smoking and drinking some of the foods he ate. But I'm sure that they weren't testing for what you just talked about, which is lipoprotein little a back then. Right. You know, you saw it firsthand. Now, you know, I'm not anti anything. Some people need open heart surgery. Some people need stents. But I am very much a proponent. I call it upstream cardiology. I sure like to catch you 20 years before your bypass and work with you to drive down that risk and put heart surgeons and cardiologists out of business. And I am a cardiologist. When my waiting room is empty and all the other waiting rooms are empty, we've done our job because most of it is lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. But you need the high tech part. So getting your labs run once for this cholesterol particle, lipoprotein little a is a high-tech feature that, you know, everybody should figure out how to do once we reopen the country and the labs are reopened. Last time we spoke, I went in for my annual physical shortly thereafter, and I spoke to my my personal doctor and said, hey, I would like to get this tested. And he kind of looked at me sideways, like, you don't have any risk factors. You, you seem to be okay. I don't know if we should do that. And I want to go ahead and do it anyhow. Well, your dad is a risk factor for you, even though his lifestyle is very different. And it may be, as I say, Choices he made, choices you're making, but you know, you should know. And I can't even think of another hereditary test that's worth doing other than lipoprotein little a. I'll tell you why your doctor did that. And I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm a proud physician with friends that are proud and excellent physicians. And in general, you know, nurses, doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, these are, you know, wonderfully good hearted people going through a very challenging time right now. There is no pharmaceutical drug right now that's specifically dedicated to lower lipoprotein little a if you find that it's elevated, which means there's essentially never going to be a grand rounds at a hospital to educate the medical staff about this molecule and what it means, what it can be done, because they are often sponsored by drug companies. There's not going to be a lunch of pizza or chicken or maybe actually a big bowl of salad brought by a pharmaceutical representative to a cardiology office, internal medicine office, family office, which has still been a very frequent way of educating medical personnel, and not always a bad way, but certainly a way that drives some influence. It's just not going to happen. And you know, if a doctor read the New York Times two and a half years ago, or many blogs that I've written or podcasts and such, uh, you know, they might pick up on it, but. There are not a lot of other people other than me right now talking about it. 
There is a lipoprotein little a foundation website, Twitter, that is very packed with credible information. And somebody might encounter that. There's some really good academic people on, again, social media. So, you know, a doctor might stumble into this stuff, but they're not going to hear about it for about three, four more years till the expensive pharmaceutical is approved and becomes available. So everybody here is on the frontier and just, you know, educate your doctor, whether you mention my book, whether you find, you know, an article about Bob Harper, hey, I want this lab test. I'm telling you, it's about $25, $30 and you can have it, you know, done routinely. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get it done. There's no doubt. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned you're one of the only people doing it. And I I know that's fact. I mean, the only other person that I have heard of and actually met was the woman that founded No More Broken Hearts. I believe you know her out of of California. Victoria Dupuis. Yeah. And she has the bus that goes around with the CT scan and, and actually checks people, I believe. Is that something she does? Yeah. If you want to hear a poignant and truly tearjerker story, I didn't know yeah. Victoria, but she lives in the Silicon Valley area. And her husband, of blessed memory, Dean Dupuis, who was a, uh, I believe, ex-Marine and in the IT industry, I think at Apple, was playing hockey at age 44, 45, and I think 2014 and just dropped dead on the ice. And he had been to the doctor two weeks before. And he was a tall, handsome, fit guy, beautiful pictures on social media and all. And, you know, you talk about ripping your heart open, you know, just one woman and her two children and a family disrupted. And rather than just stay inside and bitter, Victoria said, I've got to share the knowledge once she learned it, that this doesn't need to happen, that you can detect heart risk much better than is being done at the standard physical exam. She focused largely on identifying that there is a CT scan of the heart, something also I'm crazy passionate about. And the second of six books I wrote was dedicated to teaching about this coronary artery calcium CT scan that was developed in San Francisco about 25 to 30 years ago, has been available in hospitals across America for at least 20 years, originally for about $1,000 cash, now very often $75 out of pocket. And in 10 seconds, At age 40, 45, I want to be sure my arteries are as healthy as I think they are. But dad had that bypass. I just want to have more than a guess. You lie down, you hold your breath, you go home. There's nothing injected. There's no pain. There's no needle. So a coronary artery calcium CT scan, so simple that Victoria raised the money. And I was out there at least once at a fundraiser to speak to outfit a bus with a CT scanner to drive around Silicon Valley and have people undergo the test if they want to. So I've added to her passion by teaching her about lipoprotein little a. I know there'd be no way to know that her husband carried it, but if her children were tested, she could find out. And you might want to do that. If you have that strong family history of heart disease, you might not only want to know your level. Now, if your level's normal, you can't give it on to your kids, but you still got your spouse or a significant other parent of the children to consider. But if you are elevated, then you might want at some point, not at age three, four, five, but you you might want by age 20 to have the kids check just to educate them, not to scare them. Get your lifestyle heart clean. No doubt. So we've talked about the dangers. We've talked about why it matters and why it's not routinely tested throughout hospitals and medical practices. When someone does get their lipoprotein little a tested, what would be considered a normal versus a high risk level? Good question. And there's fairly uniform ways to measure it. It's a blood test. But unfortunately, there's still a little confusion. The test results come back with one of two units, let's say like pounds and kilograms. 
The numbers are different. The traditional way to do it, the test comes back milligrams per deciliter. It's technical. And the normal is considered less than 30. And the high risk is considered over 50. But some of my patients are 300, 400, 500. That's how high their lipoprotein A level is. 10 times the upper limits of normal. There's a newer way to measure it, felt to be a little more accurate. And even more technical comes back in nanomoles per liter. And normal is less than 75, and high risk is more than 125. And again, many of my patients are 300, 400, 500 in that unit. It doesn't really matter which way they measure it. There's no direct way to convert it. Typically, if you're about twice the upper limits of normal on one, you're about twice the upper limits of normal on the other. Most labs are converting over to the second way. Who cares? So there's an established normal limit. There's literally not dozens, hundreds of research papers in humans and animals, but many in humans that have tracked people with elevated lipoprotein A and demonstrating two times, three times, four times during their life, the risk of a heart attack, the risk of a stroke, and the risk of scarring this heart valve called the aortic valve. So the science is pretty darn solid about what it means. Now, I just want to talk about risk. You know, there are smokers that live to 100, even though we know that smoking doubles or triples the risk for heart attack and maybe raises the risk for lung cancer by 10 to 20 times. Not everybody that smokes gets lung cancer. Not everybody that has inherited a high level of lipoprotein A has bad arteries. And one of the things I do in my clinic is if I'm the first person that measures it or they've had it measured and they find me and consult with me, which we do by phone and Skype and Zoom and Hangout and everything else before the current pandemic, but now more than ever. We check the health of their arteries, maybe a carotid ultrasound, maybe the CT scan. Increasingly, there's a little interest in doing an ultrasound on the leg arteries as a uh, easy way, again, to assess if your arteries are aging. Lots of my patients have great arteries despite lipoprotein little a. And it's like many things. If your lipoprotein little a is up and your diabetic and your LDL cholesterol is up and your HDL cholesterol is low, and maybe you were a smoker, you're going to have compounded risk. If you just have one feature, the genetic inheritance, you still should be wary and cautious and follow my hashtag test, not guess. You know, make sure your arteries are good. Don't have surprises in life. Last thing, I know I'm wordy. In 1955, this is really interesting. President Eisenhower had a massive heart attack while sitting in the White House and almost died. He ended up changing his diet to a largely Mediterranean dash plant strong diet that people thought he was crazy to do. He lived 15 years after his heart attack beyond expectations for the time. But his cardiologist announced in 1955 when there was so much attention on heart disease and heart attacks because of the president that he said a heart attack over age 80 is an act of God. A heart attack under age 80 is a failure of the medical system. So in 1955, he announced we got to do better and we need to stop failing at telling people they're at risk. Now, Here it is, if I quickly do my math, 65 years later, we are just talking about how to implement that. When you mentioned CT scans and Victoria Dupuis and lipoprotein little a, that's really the cutting edge. And yet none of it's hard or expensive. That's the best news. This isn't an elite approach. I have the pleasure of volunteering at a free women's health clinic in inner city Detroit, pretty rough neighborhood. And the only test of the heart I can ask these women to consider getting is a $75 or $50 CT scan because the stress test costs $1,000. So I can offer cutting edge care at a cost that is almost universally possible, whereas the fancy tests in traditional cardiology are clearly out of 
range for many people in general, and specifically this free clinic population. Yeah, I love your approach to heart health, Dr. Khan. I mean, you cover it all. It's holistic. I mean, someone comes in, if, and, and if anyone wants to see the lineup and the things that you do, just go to your website. It's impressive. I mean, you guys talk about diet. I've never in my life had a physician talk to me about my food that I ate. You're a young, handsome stud. But, you know, when you interview a man or woman who 20 years ago had a heart attack, bypass, carotid surgery to the brain and such, and they ask them, and I'm the first physician that wants to know what's breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, sweet tooth, alcohol, coffee, and the rest. And nobody's inquired, or I get letters all the time from chief of cardiology at various university hospitals related to patients that I'm co-managing. And there's not a line there that indicates they know anything about the patient, other whether they smoke or not. And these are great people. I have great respect, but we've got to incorporate. I don't care if it's five minutes. You got to know, are they stopping at McDonald's, Arby's, Wendy's, frozen pizzas with pepperoni from the grocery store? Or do they know how to chop a salad and make a bean chili? I mean, or teach them for God's sakes. Yeah, it's to the point with me that I'm strongly considering making sure that my primary care doctor is now plant-based as well. Because when I mentioned to my doctor that, hey, I went plant-based a year ago to reverse the things you told me I had going on, he didn't engage with me at all, as I just mentioned. I mean, he didn't even know where to start with it. Just keep it up is what he said, right? There can be that reaction. That's okay with me. There can be the other reaction is, you know, that's nutrition efficient. Yeah, you're going to harm yourself. You better add back meat and fish. Only to be timely, we had the announcement in the media this week that Liam Hemsworth, a very famous hunky Australian actor from the Hunger Games fame and others, is abandoning to some degree, it's not clear how much, his four-year vegan diet of which he felt he was doing great and looked great and had energy because he had a kidney stone that required an operation to remove the kidney stone. In reality, that's just going to feed into the medical model. Didn't you hear about Hemsworth having a kidney stone? You should really add back some meat or fish and get off those greens. In reality, not the vast majority, I would say all the medical literature says high meat diets are related to kidney stones. Vegetarian, vegan, DASH, Mediterranean diets are related to a much lower risk of kidney stones. It turns out on his interview, he said that he was putting piles of spinach every day in his smoothie. Well, spinach happens to be along with Swiss chard and beet greens, the three highest oxalate-containing plants, which are wonderful to eat all of them, but not handfuls and handfuls and handfuls of spinach every day without a break, without a rotation. So all we had to teach Liam was, put arugula, put kale, put some romaine, or rotate, drink more water, and baby, you're set for life. I just wrote a blog that'll be out in the next day or two on the topic because you're right, the medical doctor can be you know, the biggest obstacle to somebody just starting a healthy diet. Said is, yeah, patients actually upgrade the health of their doctors. Patients tell a doctor, go watch Forks Overnight. Go read Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease or Undo It. Go read Dr. Khan's book, The Plant-Based Solution. And there just aren't that many plant-based docs out there. So don't expect solid nutritional advice from most of your primary care physician. But maybe your obligation would be to turn around and educate them. Juliana Hever, known as the plantbaseddietitian.com, has written some real nice articles about educating physicians on nutrition. And I've uh, written a blog. I won't call it a you know high science how to deal with your primary care doc on your vegan diet, because you can just expect 
you know, to hear more about keto, more about carnivore, God knows, you know, your doctor's probably following Sean Baker and Paul Saladino and the carnivore diet, just because it's sexy, it's hot, but it's evil. It is. I couldn't agree more. Maybe what I'll do when I go see him, because I usually do my annual checkup around Christmas time, I think I'll just drop this off for him and say, hey, <laughs> Why here's not? a book by Dr. Khan. <laughs> I appreciate that. It would be a good thing for him to have in his waiting room, too. And, you know, the last little bit, not to drive it too deep, is the obvious topics. Okay, Dr. Khan, I went to my primary care doc, or I went to one of the labs, like wellnessfx.com, I just paid to have my own lipoprotein little A level because dad had bypass, mom had stroke. I just want to know, as the European Society of Cardiology suggests, what do I do about it? I find out my blood levels four times the upper limits of normal. So right now, there's not a pharmaceutical agent known to lower it that's approved by the FDA to use for it. So statins, the most popular drugs, they're very inexpensive now. There are some side effects. Most people don't have side effects, Lipitor, Crestor, and such, do not lower lipoprotein little a. They lower that LDL cholesterol, but lipoprotein little a doesn't go down. And sometimes it actually goes up. This is a scientific fact when you put people on those drugs. So we don't know if that's good or bad. But anyways, they don't lower it. Some of the other drugs, I want to mention it, don't lower it. There is an injectable cholesterol drug that's rather exotic. It's been out for four or five years. One's called Repatha. One's called Proluent. If you can't take a Lipitor-type drug because you have so many side effects, you might get moved up to this injectable drug. It does lower lipoprotein A about 25 to 30%. So the level of 100 might go down to 70. That would seem to be a good thing, and the science suggests it's a good thing. But it's a whole process, and it's nothing for the general public. It's something you'd have to be in a cardiology office and usually have had a heart attack or some other event. There is the good old standby called niacin. Niacin is vitamin B3. It's in a lot of multivitamins. It's in food. However, it is also available over the counter in fairly pure forms as a more therapeutic level of niacin because we've known for 60 plus years, niacin lowers LDL cholesterol, niacin raises HDL cholesterol, niacin lowers triglycerides. It turns out niacin lowers lipoprotein little a, lots of data. In some people, it lowers it 20, 30%. Some people, it knocks the socks off their lipoprotein A level and it falls 80%. And right now in cardiology, niacin is not the most popular of cholesterol drugs. The statins still are. Niacin is super dirt cheap over the counter. There's a certain brand I have no connection with called Enduracin, E-N-D-U-R-A-C-I-N, that I use in patients. You have to watch blood sugar, history of bleeding ulcers, history of gout. There's a few things to monitor even if you're just buying it in a vitamin shop. However, the biggest drawback is that we just don't have a good study, a 10-year study. 200 people took niacin, 200 people took placebo or did nothing, and we saw less heart attack strokes or blockage. We can only assume it's lowering risk, but assuming is sometimes wrong. I think it's still an important possible choice. Coenzyme Q10, a vitamin a lot of people have heard of, can lower lipoprotein A some. When women go through menopause and might decide with their gynecologist to get on hormone replacement therapy, that can lower lipoprotein little a. Finally, there was a study 20 years ago that eating more saturated fat lowers lipoprotein little a. That study still is mentioned. It was healthy people with normal lipoprotein little a levels, and the change in their lipoprotein little a was an incredibly tiny amount down 
but it actually has no relevance. Number one, you would never recommend a high saturated fat diet if you have any knowledge of what it does to your microbiome, what it does to your LDL cholesterol, what it does to your overall risk, maybe even metastatic cancer risk and all. There's so much data about that. Number two, these people were in the normal range. So it isn't really what we wanted to know. We wanted to know what does diet do when your level's high. A wonderful cardiologist in Houston, Baxter Montgomery, MD, did a study in 2018 with whole food plant diets. And guess what? Lipoprotein A levels went down and they were not, of course, a high saturated fat diet. That's about the best data we have. And that's why I put whole food plant-based recipes in the book, because that's certainly going to be a good place to head if you find out you have an elevated lipoprotein A. You want to lower all the other risk. You don't want to be overweight. You don't want to have a high LDL cholesterol or triglycerides. You don't want to have inflammation. You don't want to have high blood sugar. And a brightly colored whole food plant-based diet, including those wonderful sprouts we talked about, will tend to improve all the other important measures, certainly lower inflammation, and it's where you should gravitate to. So now you have 50 plus great recipes written by a friend of mine, a really good vegan chef, Beverly Lynn Bennett, to add to your kitchen armamentarium. That's a segue right there, Dr. Khan. Let's talk about that. You touched on the recipes. And specifically, I love how each recipe in the book gives you information on the macro and micronutrients in each dish and why it's beneficial to your health. So it's not just a recipe. It's this is a recipe that's really tasty and delicious and really easy to make. And here's why it's good for you. So it's everything, which is amazing. And I've already made a couple of them. I promised my wife I'd ask you this question. So I'm on the hook for this. There's an oatmeal raisin cookie in the book that is off the charts. I mean, I make pretty good cookies, but this thing is off the charts. And, you know, we've been making them just about every other night. I got to just double check. It is healthy, right? I mean, it tastes so sinfully delicious. Like this can't be healthy, but it is. I mean, it's flax, it's oats. It's Right. That's what I'm saying. It's on page 131. And, you know, we're yeah. talking non-dairy milk and we're talking oat flour, oat bran, lowers LDL cholesterol nicely, hemp seeds, chia seeds, cinnamon, rolled oats, dried fruit, raw nuts. What could somebody jump on? There's some nut butter and some maple syrup in the recipe. You know, it leads to a tiny discussion, and I don't want to really blow up this topic. We can come back to it anytime you want to, but lots of people that follow me and follow you and do their own research have heard over and over, no oil, no nuts, no avocados, no olives. There's a great scientific tradition to why very smart medical doctors and peers of mine say that. But those studies were designed for the sick heart patients that either disqualified from bypass, disqualified from angioplasty stents, chose not to have bypass, sick, sick people. And when people come to me like two days ago from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, a man went through his whole history by phone and worked very hard to avoid bypass because he has critically blocked arteries. And all I'm going to give him that 70-year tradition of a stricter version of a whole food plant-based diet. But when you look at the broad data on whole food plant-based diets and nuts in or out, you know, nut butter in or out, avocados in or out, I am very much in favor of being a bit more liberal, incorporating more people into this. It's a very small slice of the world has ever heard a no-oil approach. And I am favoring, as Dr. Neil Bernard says quickly, low or no-oil recipes of which these are, and I made sure when I talked to the recipe maker, Beverly Lynn Bennett, these were completely on 
track with the overall data of lowering cholesterol. And in general, walnuts lower cholesterol, avocados lower cholesterol, oat bran lowers cholesterol, chia flax hemp lower cholesterol, organic tofu, tempeh edamame lower cholesterol. These are some of the foods that can be used. They're called functional foods that actually have a kind of a medical aspect. But if you want to pursue because of your weight, your personal choice, your inflammation, a no added oil version and a no nut oil version and a no avocado oil version. I endorse that. And I've done that for the last 43 years of my life. I've been plant-based. But if we're going to lose you because you've heard I eat an avocado, so I'm outside the family. I ate some nuts. I'm outside the family. I welcome you and embrace you. You're in my camp. That's right. You're in your camp. Enjoy your cookies. And I mean, thank you. You know what? That's really what I wanted to hear. Oreo sales are off the roof during this pandemic because people are, you know, emotional eaters. And, you know, unfortunately, the fresh produce is a bit hard to find, but you can find all the Oreos you want in the grocery store delivered to you. I'd much rather you make page 131 at home, have a nice glass of oat milk and a warm oatmeal raisin cookie. Yeah, no doubt. And Anyone listening to this, if you're looking for comfort foods like Dr. Khan just mentioned, there's plenty in this book that are good for you. So don't worry. It's not just the cookies that are in there. We talked about a lot today. Most importantly was obviously the lipoprotein little a, and you've provided a boatload of information for my listeners. And I'm urging everyone listening to this to go pick up the book, go learn about this, check out Dr. Khan's sites, follow him on social. You're very active. Every single day, you're putting out new information for people. Thank you. Thank you for that. We're going to close this thing out. I know you've got a lot to do. You've got patients coming up here in a few moments. Before we do that, is there anything that you just want to add to the conversation that I may have not brought up that you feel is important to touch on? I agree with you. I think we covered a lot. I can always, you know, create a little controversy here. (laughs) You like controversy? You don't like controversy? Bring it. You have to be very careful when you give public advice because it can always be twisted and turned. One topic that confuses people is, is there a role for a responsible glass of wine in a heart-healthy diet? And that's a whole future conversation we can go into. But Over the years, some of these massive studies like the Harvard School of Public Health that tracks 130,000 doctors and nurses for 30 years with incredibly detailed questionnaires every four years and follows them up for future health, future death, future heart attack, future stroke, future diabetes, they've consistently found that low but consistent alcohol intake is one of the top five factors that predicts between nine and 12 additional years of life. And a lot of people push back on that in the health world, that that's an irresponsible message because there's obviously tremendous opportunity for abuse. I mean, is your glass the same size glass in the Harvard School of Public Health? Of course, they had a definition. It's usually an ounce of hard liquor, like tequila shot, five ounces of wine, typical pour at a restaurant, and eight ounces of beer, which a lot of people will fill a mug a lot more than eight ounces. That's one serving. But just this week out of Europe, a conglomeration of, I think, 12 research studies involving, again, over 100,000 people followed for over 12 years. I mean, there's a whole variety of things they could have identified are associated with longevity. I mean, I'm embarrassed by it. The research said you got a longevity check mark for enjoying a glass of alcohol a day defined as I just did. You actually didn't get that same longevity benefit when you answered, I had none. And it certainly isn't 
four glasses a day. It was very well defined, a little bit more in men than women. Unfortunately, body size and our liver metabolism breaks down alcohol a little bit more rapidly and predictably than the female gender. But we're locked down and we can overdo it. But longevity science says, as you're enjoying your bean chili and your bowl of purple cabbage sprout arugula salad, you know, a little glass of Pinot Noir, appropriately limited, five ounces or so, is an enjoyable thing. So call me the happy information cardiologist. This is the best science that's out there. I love it. So I, I love to share. You have to be comfortable in your skin. I've been plant-based for 43 years, age 18. And I've had a struggle through cities and situations and meetings. And also, I mean, I've been there. I've been up, down, lived in the South, lived in you know the Midwest, traveled around the world lecturing and all. I can't always accommodate the strictest, strictest of rules, but they're always plant-based and they're always whole food. So you're not going to find me, you know, at Burger King getting a impossible burger on the meat grill. I mean, that's not on my agenda, but anyways, salute. I love it. One last thing, Dr. Khan. Aside from the fact you're the kind human being, you know what I love about you? What, sir? Other than you're from Detroit and I'm from Detroit or Michigan. I am, in fact. But you're out there. You're getting a message of preventative and integrative medicine to the people. And I mean, you truly walk the walk. So thank you for that. And as we close this out, I just want to say thank you for your time, for your work and your service to humanity, Dr. Khan. You are a true healer. I do appreciate kind words. You know, as you know, you put yourself out there with any platform of which mine is don't die of a heart attack unnecessarily and enjoy your life to the fullest, including your sexual prowess, because that all ties in with cardiovascular disease. You get beat up when you're out there. And I've had my share of being beaten up. So I appreciate the kind words. I don't take them lightly. And I don't mind getting into controversial topics as I've done on Joe Rogan and (laughs) body green and a few other formats but it's important we stick to the science you're doing a great job of that and thank you for sharing this lipoprotein little a message no doubt thank you dr khan all right everyone that was dr joel khan please be sure to check out my show notes for links to his website and be sure to pick up a copy of his latest book lipoprotein little a the heart's quiet killer until next time peace love and plants 43 years That is a long time. And as you just heard, that is how long Dr. Khan has been preaching the message of plant-based nutrition for optimal health. After recording this session with Dr. Khan, I found myself reflecting on the early years of my life, back when my father was still alive. I went into spaces that I don't often visit because honestly, it's painful. I watched my father suffer with heart disease from age seven into the day he passed. I was 19. I don't bring this up to be a downer, but I do bring it up because I see so many people in my everyday life that are ignoring the warning signs and leading a not-so-healthy lifestyle. I know what it's like from the first-hand experience of my father's life and my very own life. Even though I promised never to follow my father's footsteps regarding health, I fell into the trap of eating poorly, despite convincing myself that I was eating healthy. I fell into the trap of prioritizing my work versus having a healthy balance in my life. I fell into the trap of accepting that degrading health is just what happens when you reach a certain age. Luckily, I also fell into the wake-up call when my doctor presented a very poor health grade to me. It rocked me to my core. It gave me a chance to right my poor lifestyle choices. It was then that the universe opened up to me, 
doctors that I never knew existed, all of a sudden were everywhere. Food that I thought was strange, all of a sudden had a new significance. And I slowly began to reverse the poor health and take back my life. My sincere hope is that you are living a healthy life. And if you aren't, that you find some encouragement and support through my podcasts. It's my mission to help others realize their potential. I'm here for you. My email is in the show notes. Please don't hesitate to reach out.